spouse to you. Permaculture Perspectives. And today, I'm going to talk about explicitly how do you set yourself, your family, your friends up with a self-sufficient, more integrated permaculture homestead in the country. It's going to be a topic that I'll be talking about over the next couple episodes here. I'll walk us through a couple scenarios of saying by just land with no structures on it and build it up from scratch. How do you go about doing that? What are some of the stages? Another thing I'll be doing with this series here on buying land in the country and setting up your permaculture homestead or community or farm or go to the next scale and let's have a permaculture farm homestead with schools and a integrated neighborhood that also includes retail market venues for products that are produced on a farm that's a permaculture educational center. So there's a lot of scales we'll walk through. The one that I'm going to start with is the simplest. Let's say you just want to buy some land and experience what it's like to set yourself up to grow more of your own food, build your house, and maybe over time have some friends move there. So we're looking for our place in the country that we're going to set up with our friends and family that's going to grow more of our own food and our energy is not going to be grid-tied. It's going to be an independent setup. And another thing I want to help address with this is some what I see as a misunderstanding about the real opportunities that are out here for so many organizations that have a much larger budget than, say, an individual family has when they decide that they would like to set up something for themselves, we see that being often who it is that mainly pursues this idea of really getting serious about independence and disconnecting and really not participating in a society that is ethically and ecologically a disaster. And on so many counts, there's solid reasons for disconnecting from the long-distance transportation infrastructure that we mostly depend upon in this country and begin to set up systems that are independent of it. And scaling it from homestead scale to regional scale has been one of my specialties of late to say clearly and articulately there is a path and what I want to share with you here is the steps along that path that I've personally taken and some of the insights and details about how do you experience a life that is 
really very achievable as far as getting yourself and your family and your community in a scenario where you're not using electricity or hot water or eating food from places that are not near at hand and renewable and beautiful and enjoyable. All of those are, I'd see that a beautiful, enjoyable life that is looking at first, how do we do it at home, right? So that's what I'm starting with today, is what does this look like at the home scale? And then I'm building on some of the specifics come from a center of education, one of the earlier manifestations of the Center for Bioregional Living, which was in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. I talked about that on the podcast with Clay. And I'll share some of the process of land analysis and setting up that place to give you an understanding of some of the important pieces that you can take and use in your own pursuit for this kind of independent livelihood, independent community development, and to also help specifically through these, uh, at the end of them and in the, in the description of them, I'll be leaving links to photo galleries for you to see how to build out and put together this kind of independent living at both a home scale and a community scale. So look for those if you want to get into some visuals that will back up what I'm going to be talking about today and over the next few broadcasts. So we're looking for our place in the country and the first thing you want to think about is do you want to do this in a place that oh, is easy to get in and out of in the wintertime, and what kind of a growing season are you looking for? Those things are often interconnected. So begin with a goal and an outline of the lifestyle that you desire. Let's say one example I'll be talking about is you'd like to be able to go back and forth from a city center or a college town where you might be an artist or a holistic healer or a performer, some sort of social connection that is desired as part of where you can go when you aren't living on your permaculture self-sufficient homestead. And as you think about that, you figure, well, winter time and transportation and distance, it'd be great if we're talking about the Hudson Valley, that perhaps we could take a train that goes from at least perhaps a reasonable trudge in a good insulated outfit in the wintertime to a train station from where it is that your site is. And also looking at that opportunity can go far out into the country because, for instance, in Pocahontas County, West Virginia, there is a 
train station that Amtrak goes to that was 40 minutes south, which is in White Sulphur Springs. And so I figured, well, setting up a site in a place where people could come to the Center for Bioregional Living on a train and could reasonably in a uh, trek of sorts or usually getting picked up and driven, coming to our site, we could then, in the, in the main for the winter time, we really didn't go and travel at all. We set up the site so that all the water, all the heat, all the hot water, and all the food that we needed was stored there through the winter time. We'd staples. When we did go out, we would periodically get, say, things that were like fresh produce rather than things that we'd stored or fermented. And when you're looking for a site, think about things like distance from a place that you might want to travel to and from. And what are the connecting threads? Is it some sort of uh, public transportation that could be within not too much, you know, of a distance or an effort gotten to? That's a key variable that I'm outlining there. So second is, of course, if you're setting up something that's experimental, um, you know, doing it in a place that's not super visible. For instance, if you're right inside of a town or a village, as they call them up here in Ulster County, Dutchess, Columbia, in that region, then you're obviously under a lot more scrutiny and attention than when you get into more and more remote locations. The thing to consider as you get further and further away from main arteries is how comfortable are you with limited access in the wintertime, which I think is in the main something to assume you're going to have at least a few unpredictable scenarios where access is uh, perhaps cut off and you're not able to get out for days or weeks because of bad storms. So what Permaculture Homestead viewpoint give you is this real preparedness for where are you in comfort as far as how, how do you achieve having a comfortable environment without depending upon all of these power lines and all of these complex technologies that are actually quite vulnerable and depend upon all of those systems, all those power lines, all those cables being intact, all those satellites transmitting. Do you have a, a livelihood? Do you have food that's really good, potent, vital food, and another pursuit of happiness that is part of my personal reason for looking deeper into the roots of permaculture from a personal and experiential viewpoint through creating my permaculture PhD homestead there in West Virginia and continuing today to this day to live in a deeply exploratory manner of the systems and the viewpoints that are uh, largely associated with permaculture. And so speaking from that perspective, it becomes clear that one of the reasons to grow food is because 
It's a spiritual experience, eating. And everything you eat is becoming a part of you, and the more you can be a part and play a part and have a direct relationship and know that what you're imbibing has really been cared for, you impart it with more potency. And so we often pick things to grow and things to produce, animals, plants, foods, that are not easy to find in the marketplace at the quality that we want them to be. And what that also leads to is that you're creating potentially really yummy products and foods that nobody else is making because you've filled the gaps in your own diet that you can't find. You're also making things that are gaps in general in the market around you. And so this process of setting yourself up to have an environment where you're very comfortable in the wintertime, no matter what happens to the grid, is part of what permaculture living gives you and setting up a permaculture home and community is about comfort and quality of life and how to achieve hot water on tap, a nice ability to enjoy an evening together, eating a good meal that's very nourishing and nutrient dense. Those are some of the simple and highly achievable goals that I'm going to outline. So with a home and where to locate it, we've discussed transportation nodes, distance from them, and visibility to various zoning and code enforcers. And then the next layer that I was getting into is neighbors. Because once you're outside of where bureaucracy is really scrutinizing everything you do, the next thing to consider is whether you're landing your plane to set up your really freaky out art, expansive, explorative community in a place that is going to have a lot of people around it that won't appreciate it. So think about how freaky, how big, what your final vision is, and have that really inform how it is that you situate your site and your site development plan. And make sure you don't do anything that's too experimental and obvious, especially in the early stages, close to where your neighbors can see them. And get to know your neighbors. And maybe spruce yourself up and don't look too eclectic when you go and meet them. And bring them a pie. Say hi. Those are the key things. Location, location, location. So pay attention to who you're next to. Also do your homework on, obviously, but maybe not so obviously, proximity to polluted sites, contaminated sites, contaminated Dream. Look into that. Key to where to live. So you find something that has cool neighbors, the right parcel. What's part of what makes it right? Whether it fits your desire to be close to town, far away from town. We've found that one of the variables, if you want to have market scale or beyond, simply 
home and a few friends visiting you might want well you definitely should think about parking and where that's going to be and not have it be too far onto your site but keep it towards main accesses that are maintained by municipalities think about distance of access to where dwellings and your whole main winterized core settlement is so the first thing you want to do with your master plan for your property and project is to figure out where your main winterized year-round core building complex and infrastructure is going to be and have the shortest path of least resistance through the geography to it make that a major variable in where it is located and the next major variable is good drainage away from wherever the main hub winterized building site will be as well as solar orientation and getting a good dose of direct sunlight on the south side of the structure of the main infrastructure for winter dwelling and living and thinking about if there's going to be a future build out of smaller houses say 20 to 40 houses where will those be in relationship to this main first hub where perhaps there is some dwelling that's apartment type multi-family dwellings integrated into a community center and a market hub with a small grocery near to where the working farm is that whole epicenter needs to be at the beginning thought about location wise but the first thing you might do if you're just going to build a home for your family would be to set up some tent platforms a nice outhouse and an outdoor shower that's gravity fed from a good rain tank that's set up off of either the outdoor kitchen itself or the outhouse and i'll show you some photos of that that you can look for in the description of this podcast which is called faustian art of living off the grid where we first set up clients and friends with properties that are very rural and have no buildings on them first with an infrastructure that they can then have people who come and live there and want to just do work exchange volunteer then have a really nice setup where they can take a shower have a nice outdoor kitchen have a nice bathroom and a tent platform to set up a big canvas tent or other comfortable sleeping environment for summertime and then we also often build small cabins on these platforms or as the first phase of development we build a cabin with outhouses and outdoor showers and outdoor kitchens but then become guest dwellings or it can become places where visitors who come for a longer spell say grandparents come so you can first build a nice little cabin and live in that for a year or two or three and then build your main house that's adjacent to that and knowing where that's going to be from the beginning and getting that access and development started and also early on figuring out where you're likely and what type of system for wastewater you're going to want to put in and then hiring the engineer to get approval to have a biodigester replace your septic tank 
and integrating that with solar thermal evacuated tubes that course through the biodigester as well as through a slab in the house as well as going through a hot water tank in the house for domestic hot water so that we have solar thermal integrated into biogas digestion and every time you flush the toilet or use your garbage disposal you are in effect creating the gas for cooking and the gas for your backup tankless hot water heater that's integrated with the solar thermal array. Photovoltaic panels that go to battery banks, windmills on sites that have a good reason to consider them, but mainly photovoltaic with batteries integrated with solar thermal, integrated with good building location and orientation to the south, and good heating systems like lab on grade with the PET tubing going through it, which I'll also be showing you. Set of photo galleries for you, some of these examples. These days I prefer berming or being lower to the ground. The site in West Virginia where I learned in part why I prefer that is because there I built a 1,600 square foot straw bale house that was basically a pole barn, meaning that I cut down black locust posts from on site with a chainsaw and sunk them over three and a half feet in the ground, 16 of them, and then attached all the framing material to that and then sat on that to straw bales after I dipped each one of them in clay slip, called French dip technique. And what that does is it makes it a lot easier when you plaster them after you stack them. So stack all the bales, put the roof on it, and then framed the whole thing up, put siding on it, windows and doors, and the straw is just sitting there where your insulation would. And this house, in the wintertime, when it would get to where we had 60 mile an hour gusts for three days straight, and it's standing almost three and a half stories up on the downhill side in a field getting rocked like a ship on the ocean was when it became clear to me that being closer to the ground was a really good plan. I did, in hindsight, plant a very robust windbreak on the west side and significantly alleviate the wind load that was initially somewhat demoralizing in terms of my capacity as an early designer in an early homestead development to recognize one of the key limiting factors on my site in making winter comfortable, which was wind. And wind stripping, wind stress is a very important variable to think about in home location, barn location, livestock, farming, gardening, living of all sorts. Most biological organisms don't really enjoy being blasted by strong wind. So thinking about how to make your life the most low effort and low tech passive systems. Uh, I like natural materials more than synthetic when it comes to what is used for insulation. 
but I am not a purist about it. I simply consider the purest part of my attention as a builder is to it being non-toxic and something that doesn't at all create a health risk if it's not natural. So certainly do use some synthetic materials in the building projects that we're doing, but a minimum of them. And really like to keep it natural, keep it simple, and keep it close to the earth, oriented to the sun, and with these really beautifully passive integrated systems like passive solar hot water integrated into biogas after you lived on the site for a year or two in a cabin that is more of a spring, summer, fall cabin heated with a wood stove supplied by rainwater system. And those become your additional housing and hosting capacity once your main structure is built. So for today, I'm going to wrap up with that phase of site development description and I'll get back to this topic in my next broadcast and look at how do we begin then once we have a main house, a cabin, and some tent camp areas set up, what are some of our next steps and elaborate further on some of the home energy independence modalities for individuals, institutions, and regions that await us. Thank you for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback. Check out the links on the description and look at the photo galleries. And any questions you have, drop me a line. Be well.